Lord, thank you for the extraordinary way that you love to speak to your people. Thank you that you know each of us better than we know ourselves. You know the kind of weeks we've had. You know the burdens we're carrying. You know the joys and the excitements. You know the challenges. And so we pray that as we open up these verses together this morning, you might help us to see both what they mean, but also how they apply to us in our lives. Help us to see that as individuals. Help us to see that too as a corporate body. We perhaps think of the new opportunities we have with the new building that you've provided for us. Help us to see how we can offer the hope we're going to think about this morning to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The um, the story last week was of a hypothetical scenario a situation, a metaphor where a young person, do you remember, had been removed from a, a difficult and dysfunctional and damaging home and placed in a new one. And they thought it was going to be rubbish, but actually they loved it. It was a happy family. They were enjoying a love that was unconditional rather than conditional, rather than depending on their performance and behaviour. Actually, they were loved and accepted and valued and treasured. It was a place of consistency and security and warmth and fun and it was good. Trouble was, the old family had started to get in contact again. There had been emails from his parents, there had been texts from his brother as the phone kept buzzing, there were missed calls and voicemails and and they're saying, come on, come, come back and join us. It's where you belong. Do you not remember the genuinely good times we had? Do you remember the fun? Hey, there's going to be a party coming up. Why don't you come along? You know you want to. And of course, that wasn't really a story about families. That was a story about us. That was your story and my story, if we're Christians here this morning. Our, our story of changing, changing families from the, the flesh, the selfish self, or as I think sparklers are calling it, the, the me-me monster, to the family of our Heavenly Father. And as the contact comes in, as the texts keep buzzing, and as the emails are flying our way, we're tempted, aren't we? We're tempted to going back to doing things as we used to do them. To listen to the me-me monster, to listen to the selfish self again. It just feels so natural, feels so normal. And our pocket buzzes and the texts come in. It's hard, isn't it? At times maybe we ask, is it worth it? And you know, as the story unfolds in Romans 8, actually it's more than that. It's what if this new family that we're now a part of, it brings with it brilliant things, it brings with it love and consistency, it brings with it security, but also as we ended up last week, and maybe you looked at it in home group slightly, it brings with it suffering as well. Yes, we have God's spirit living in us. We can be honest about our sin, we can can repent and dig it up from the roots and the weed killers there, but... But now it means as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we we don't quite fit in in the here and now. Perhaps it brings with it an awareness, an an ache that wasn't really there before. We see the brokenness of the world around us. We, We see the pain. We're not quite at home here. We didn't quite realize that at first, but now it's becoming more and more clear that the fact that we won't do things like everyone else is, is painful, is tiring. Which means we have a battle to live in, and it's a battle for hope in a world that's broken. 
And maybe sometimes when we're being honest, we think, is it worth it? Is it worth keeping going as a Christian? Is it worth keeping following Jesus? And Paul says, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it's worth it. Please keep going. His claim in this passage is, what we must know and remember is that our future glory, our future hope, outweighs the hardships of the now, our present strife. You you put them on the scales, and although the strife of the here and now feels really heavy, in actual terms it's tiny compared to what's to come, compared to the good stuff. And to try and persuade us of this, because he knows we're cynics, he, he gives us three groanings going on that are in the world. Did you spot them as Dave read it for us? Three groanings, they start broad, huge, expansive, and then they focus right in on the heart of the Christian believer. So the first one is there in verse 22, with the groaning of all creation, he says. Then in verse 23, there's the groaning of the church. The groaning inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons. We'll think about that in a bit. And then verse 26 as well. God's Spirit living in us even, groaning as he intercedes for us. There are hopeful groanings going on, says Paul. And you see, hope is really important in life. Florence found that as she was trying to swim to the island. Fog doesn't help. Hope is important, isn't it? It's why it's a very helpful tactic in war to try and break the hope of your enemy you can break their hope, then basically you've won. You can make them think they have no chance, they are outnumbered, they are outgunned, they are outmaneuvered, then basically the battle's over. It's hope that helps us to keep going. Hope protects us from, from despair. Maybe we hope for the weekend, maybe we hope for the summer holidays already. But hope is what keeps us going. And I think it's fair to say that ours is a pretty hopeless world at the moment which means that we can feel pretty hopeless as well as believers. Maybe it's the hopelessness of our politicians and the polarisation of our communities and the climate catastrophe or whatever it might be. Maybe the things that we've believed and trusted in, we've hoped in and we see that they've not provided and we're just not sure whether we have hope anymore. Maybe it's simply because it's this time of year and it's dark and it's cold and we're longing for spring. Apparently 12 minutes longer each week for the day. So every week we go on is 12 more minutes of light for us. Anyway. Hope is important. And yet we can feel pretty hopeless in our current context. And no, we're not pretending. We're not kidding ourselves. We're not just whistling in the dark. Just as Jesus said... He would raise again, and he did, so he says he'll come back, and he will. And Paul says God is faithful. Now, what is this hope that we have? Let's just jump in, and I'm going to jump in, actually, at the the end of last week. Again, we briefly touched it, but I want you to see how 17 transitions into 18. He says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. Now I know I've got some in this room who are um, experts in Romans. Um, some of you will know Romans well because you've studied it in the past. But if you know Romans, one of the things you will know is that Paul speaks of glory at key different places throughout the letter. 
So, for example, if you want to flip back to, but 1 verse 23, Paul talks about the glory that we exchanged as we walked out on God and ran after worthless idols. Okay, so there's a glory that's been exchanged as we walk out on God and go after idols. Or indeed, chapter 3, verse 23, the glory that we now all fall short of in our sin. And yet, Paul says, we have a certain glory to come in the future. So the glory that we were made for has been forfeited, and yet glory is to come. There's a hope to come, says Paul. See, it's here again this week. It was there in verse 18. It was there in verse 17 as well. Next week we'll see it in verse 32. He also glorified. You see, he's saying that it's good now, but it's hard now. There is suffering now, but it's worth it because there's glory to come. And we say, all right, Paul, prove it. Convince me that it's worth it. Convince me that there's glory to come. I think what Paul does in this section is he, he says, take a step back. Friends, when you have sufferings, they can feel so enormous and so painful, and there's nothing other than these sufferings which overwhelm us and overshadow us. He says, take a step back. Come on, come and have a look at the big picture. Come and look at God's story. Try to remember what he's doing, and then we may have some more hope. And if you remember as well from the, the um, structure of chapter 8, the first week... 1, 1 to 4, do you remember he's looking back to no condemnation? The second two weeks was thinking about the now, the, the discontinuity that we have between our true identity in Christ and yet how we live. There's a tension there. Well, this week and next, he points us ahead. He says there's a hope to come, there's a glory to come. And the first thing he points out then, um, verse 19 to 22, is that you are in a groaning creation that longs for the glory to be revealed. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. You see, the groaning that's going on is a hopeful groaning. It's a groaning that longs for the future. It's a groaning that knows there is more to come. He describes it, verse 22, as like childbirth. It's not groaning as if it's in the death throes. Last few breaths groaning. No, it's not the groaning of the funeral service, but it's the groaning of the maternity ward. It's the groaning of a mother, the birth pangs of of a restored and renewed creation of hope of something more to come. All of creation waiting in eager anticipation for the children of God to be revealed. It's the close family waiting in the hospital waiting room next door to the maternity ward. It's everybody else with their phones switched on at night waiting for the news of a new baby. To hear the news of the children of God to be revealed. So what does that mean? What does that actually mean? It means because Christians are God's children now. We saw that last week, do you remember back in verse 16, for example? We're, we're a part of this new family. We've, we've moved from the, the, the me-me family through to God's family. We have a new father who loves us. Our spirit testifies with him. We cry, Abba, Father. 
But it means that that reality will only be seen by all in the future. The true nature of us as children of God in some senses are are veiled now. One day it will be plain and clear. And all of creation is looking ahead, longing, expectant, hopeful for that day when reality is truly seen. It's as if the spring bulbs, as they are, are just kind of poking through. Ah, there's more to come. Little pockets, little glimpses. Everyone's waiting for, for real spring. This is just the bit beforehand. And why? Why is everyone waiting? Well, because on that day, on that day when the new creation is revealed, so the pain of the old will be gone. Have a look at 20 and 21. See, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see, our first parents, they walk out on the God of life, they leave, and so we're confronted with sin and with sadness, with frustration and futility and, and death and decay, and, and you switch the news on and, and you see that. Or you look into your own story, your own life, and you see that, the reality of that. Every single day, all over the place, creation subjected to, to fruitfulness, to fr- fruit, fruitlessness, to frustration. It, it breaks our hearts. And it hurts, doesn't it? The futility of living in a world like that. God, God made it good, but it's broken. Have a listen to um, a writer called Tim Keller on this idea. He says this, he says, We acknowledge that the world is good. It is not the temporary theatre for our individual salvation stories after which we go to live disembodied lives in a different dimension. No, no, this world is the forerunner of the new heavens and the new earth, which will be purified, restored and enhanced at the renewal of all things. Which means as Christians, we can be those who both appreciate the world, we know who made it, we know where it's going, and yet we feel the pain of it as well, the frustration. We, we know it's not meant to be like this. Think of, think of Ecclesiastes. You see it in glorious technicolour. In some senses, it's such a depressing book. Honest. Whatever you endeavour, whatever you try, it's going to end in death. You will finally meet the grave and you'll pass it on to somebody else and who knows what they'll be like. And so the writer says, well, is it worth it? What's the point? If if death is inevitable, why bother? Everything is meaningless. It's like vapour. It's like mist. It's temporal. Is there any hope at all? The author of Ecclesiastes ponders. And Paul jumps in and says, yes. Yes, there is hope. Because there is more to come. There's a day when the frustration will be over, when we don't need books like Ecclesiastes anymore. Because creation will be renewed again. Do you know, if this world is it, if this is it, actually it is pretty hopeless, isn't it? But this is not all there is, says Paul. Verse 20 Creation didn't choose it. God did. But again, he, chose, he did it in hope. That is, in light of a certain future, in light of freedom and liberation. We've, 
We've said this before, but hope in the Bible is not kind of wishful thinking. It's not, ooh, fingers crossed and touch wood. It's, it's, no, no, it's future certainty based on past reality. That's why I keep going on about the tomb was empty. Jesus said he would rise again, and he did. He said he would come back, and he will. People were sceptical then. People are sceptical now. But God keeps his promises. But it's still hard. Isn't it hard? Isn't it hard to keep going sometimes? Hard to remember that we have a hope. Hard to remember that this is not all there is. We try and squeeze all the life we can out of the now because we forget what's to come. Maybe... Louise is here at the back. Maybe our, our midwives can help us on this. But it seems to me, what does the midwife do during the pains of labour? <coughs> Louise, do you walk around the place muttering that it was all a big mistake and they should never have had this baby in the first place? <laughs> Wrong answer. No, she doesn't. It's not right for a woman to be going through this kind of pain. What do you, why did you do this? No, again and again and again, she says, keep going, think of the baby, think of the joy. And Yes, it's hard now, yes, it's horrible now. But trust me, she says, I've been through this many times before, I've seen it many times before, it will be worth it. And she's right, because when that little bundle snuggles up to you, you would say that the sufferings don't compare with the glory. It is worth it, new life is worth it in the end. And so says Paul, press on. This is pain with purpose. Keep going. So you're in a groaning creation that longs for the glory of God to be revealed. Secondly, persevere because you're in a groaning church that longs for the glory to be revealed. So within the groaning creation, Paul zooms in a bit because there lives a groaning church, the children of God who are yet to be revealed. It is groaning again, but it's a slightly different groaning. Groaning for another reason. Why do we groan? We groan because of God's Spirit living in us, the first fruits, the promise of more to come. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we need to be slightly careful here. I think this doesn't mean that we have a bit of the Spirit now and we'll have more to come. Now, the first truth, I think, is much more of a taster that promises more. We've already acknowledged this morning how many great bakers there are in this room. I feel a bit of a fraud talking about baking, but it seems to be one of the best things about making a cake, particularly a chocolate cake, is the chance to lick the bowl out before you actually eat it. And you lick the bowl and you lick the wooden spoon and you lick the spatula and the little whisky bits as well. How do you get the chocolate off that? And any bits that might get wasted, they're fair game, aren't they? You should see our offspring being set loose on baking items. We, we don't even use the dishwasher anymore. <laughs> That's not true, we do. Sorry. <laughs> but it's delicious. You long for more. And then it gets worse because you smell it as it begins to cook. And your stomach is kind of growling and grumbling. You're salivating. You're, it's rumbling. You're dying for a taste. But you must wait, apparently. You can't, you can't stick your finger into this kind of stodgy mess in the oven. You've got, to, you've got to wait for it to cool and to be ready. Well, in the same way, sort of, Christians know we have a taste of what is to come. 
We have the first fruits of God's Spirit, and it's great. But, but we want more. There is more to it than just licking out the bowl and the spatula. There's a cake to come. And yet we need to be patient. And so do you see, our groan as believers ought not be a groan of, of doubt or of grumbling or of complaining, although we're very good at that. No, the groan of the Christian is the cry given by the spirit of adoption that longs for more. It's the cry that says, come Lord Jesus. It's, it's the cry as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship. From, from last week, that's an idea of, of being heirs, of inheritance, the redemption of our bodies. And so two weeks ago, do you remember we thought about the new minds we have as believers? The new mindset that comes from being in Christ. A new way of thinking, of processing, that the me questions are, are less important or less frequent. We have this new mind, but the key aspect of our groan here this week is the redemption of our bodies, end of verse 23. No longer will we be, 7 verse 24, the end of the last chapter, in a body of death. But he's talking about a new body to come. We long for our full and our final redemption, our complete adoption. We have hope. This is not the end of the story. What does that mean on Monday? What difference does that, that make for, for me and for you this week? Different things that fill your diary, different contexts that we'll all be in, different priorities for each of us. Well, it means at least patient endurance, verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's hard to be patient, isn't it? Endurance is complicated. Something we're not that good at. I think of the everyday normal Christian, the, the you and the me and those who struggle with sin. The phones keep buzzing in our pockets and it's our old family again wanting us to come and join in. And we're tempted to listen. We're tempted to do things as we used to rather than the people we now are. We struggle. Or I think of Christian friends at the moment who are suffering in these decaying, broken bodies there are bad backs, there are headaches, there are appointments with the doctor. There's whatever it is in your context where you ache. This is not hypothetical, this is, this is real. Morden Road, we know something of that with the, the sad loss of Gwyneth before Christmas. And then the ongoing grief. But for Peter, but for all of us. Or we think of, think of friends who who's affected by MS, whose body, bit by bit by bit, will just deteriorate. Think of friends who struggle with infertility. Think of friends with mental health issues. Think of many other struggles that you will know in your context, in your friendship groups. The reality of living in a world like this is the groaning that we feel as believers, as a groaning church. The longing for perfected bodies that are not broken, that do not decay. It's a real thing. 
And yet we need patience. We need to keep trusting, to remember the hope that we are called to, because verse 24, we don't yet have it. There's a right sense of of dissatisfaction. But as we said, our world is not very good at waiting. We are so short-termist. We are so focused on the now that we lose sight of the big picture and the big story. We get so frustrated with the Wi-Fi that won't work or the mobile reset and we just don't know how to deal with the idea of having to wait. Maybe a conversation starter again in home groups. How can we consider together how we can help each other to keep that hope? To keep that big picture, that big story in mind. So we get less caught up in the Wi-Fi not working and more caught up in God's big plan for history. The patient endurance to keep going. So creation groans. And then church groans. And then... I think this is the right idea, but the echocardiogram in hospital zooms in on the heart of every believer. Because there's another kind of creation, that we, another kind of groaning that we see. Paul says, persevere because you have God's groaning spirit who longs for the glory to be revealed. Verse 26 and 27. In the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We don't know sometimes what to pray for, but God helps us. What's Paul saying there? What does it mean that the Spirit helps us in our weakness like this? I think it's less about the specifics of prayer, but maybe that's part of it. I think it's probably more about the macro. It's the general direction and dynamics of what it means to pray, teaching us how to pray, what to pray for, the kind of things we ought to be praying for in life. One writer says this, Only by the Spirit do we know to pray, Your kingdom come, and have the confidence that His kingdom will come. Only by the Spirit do we know that the pain of a messed up world is labour pain rather than death throes. That we can really pray in confident hope for the new creation and the redemption of our bodies. It's, It's the Spirit in us that longs for more, that shows us God's plan. And so how to pray for it. If it were not for God's Spirit in us and in our weakness, we would not know how we ought to pray. But it's more than that, isn't it? The wonderful thing is, beneath our groanings, and this is extraordinary and a little hard to get our minds around, and I think there is mystery here, but beneath our groanings, there is the groaning of God praying to God. Hmm. By the Spirit, he intercedes to himself for us. The Spirit groans inwardly. And it's more than a little mind-blowing and mind-boggling. But I think the bottom line is this. We may be sure the pain of our present suffering is outweighed by future glory because in some way God himself is praying to himself for his people. And because it's the Spirit praying, well, so the Father in heaven hears and he will answer. 
And because you've got the Father and the Spirit talking about you, there's no possibility of a, of a communication breakdown. God the Father kind of missing the point of the conversation, or what, you, what are you actually praying for here? There's no chance of misunderstanding. There's no chance of confusion. But God is for us. And so it's worth pressing on because we can have hope. We have God's groaning spirit within. Modern Road, if I can particularly address you this morning, if you are tempted to wave the white flag and say, I've, I've had enough. I'm just not sure it's worth it. I'm not sure I can keep going. Can I say to you, please, please keep going. You are not on your own. You might feel your weakness very acutely. You might feel the reality of the, the old self buzzing in your pocket, calling you back, saying, come and do things this way again. It's so much easier, so much more fun. You might be tempted to call it a day. You might be tempted just to dial things down a bit. I'm not going to... Take it so seriously as a believer. Yeah, I'll still call myself a Christian, depending on who I'm talking to. But I'm just going to be a bit less keen. I'm going to put myself on the fringe a bit more. Can I encourage you to keep going because God is helping you to keep going? Because the Spirit is interceding for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We know that being part of this new family is hard that it might be difficult. Yes, there are blessings, of course. Yes, it's brilliant to know our Father in Heaven. Yes, there are many, many things we enjoy now. But it's difficult to be different, isn't it? And it's difficult to keep going because of the suffering that we experience. And being in this new family sets us at odds with those around us. But keep going, because this is not it. This is not it. Keep remembering the glory to come. Keep remembering the story is not finished. It's not that God's plan has failed. It's simply that God's plan is not finished. And it's a glory that all of creation longs for. And it's a glory that we as the church long for in these bodies. And it's a glory even that God's spirit in us longs for and intercedes for us to keep pressing on, to keep going, to keep trusting. Keep our eyes fixed on our Father in Heaven. Let me pray for us. And then Pat will come and continue in prayer. Father in Heaven, we confess to you how, how foggy we can find it at times. How little the hope of what's to come impacts on now. And so we feel like giving up. And yet we thank you that your plan is not finished. Thank you that there is a glory to come. Thank you that we have a hope. Thank you that Jesus said he would be raised again and he was. He said he'll come back and he will. And yet we confess how difficult at times we find it to trust you in that. I say, please help us. Help that hope that we have Shape our lives now. In Jesus' name. Amen.